Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, we're in a study called The Great Adventure, and we're looking at the second part of the book of Acts. And today we're looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. This is the uh, part of uh, Paul's second missionary journey, and basically that's church lingo for uh, when Paul uh, went and started churches in different parts of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey now. And today we have this really cool story where we, we have Paul going into Europe. He goes into Europe, and he's in a place called Philippi. And let me just read it to you, and then we'll, we'll process this story a little bit. Uh, Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. From Troas we put out to the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered, women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Now, what's interesting about this story, there's a lot of things that are interesting in this story. Um, first of all, when Paul goes to this place, he goes to a city called Philippi, which if you, if you want to connect the dots in the New Testament, when you're reading the book of Acts, the church, he starts a church in this city called Philippi, and in the New Testament, there's a letter called Philippians. So the church of Philippi is the group of people that got a letter later in the New Testament called the book of Philippians, which has that great verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what's interesting about the church of, what's interesting about the city of Philippi? A couple things are interesting about that. First of all, what's interesting about it, it was named after, it was established in 353 BC by Philip Macedon II. Everybody, you know, uh, I know you've been thinking this week a lot about Philip Macedon II. It's been on your mind a lot. Uh, anybody know who Philip Macedon II is? Anybody have any idea? Well, here's who he is. He's the father of Alexander the Great. So does anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Al- everybody's heard of Alexander the Great. It was his dad that started this city. And uh, this city was also uh, an interesting city because there was a famous battle fought there between the followers of Julius Caesar and the followers of the people that assassinated Julius Caesar. And that battle was won by Octavian and some other Roman general. And because the battle was fought there and it was won there, Philippi, they were so excited about winning that battle that they gave Philippi special status and you didn't have to pay taxes if you lived in Philippi. So how many would probably live in Philippi if you were living in that area of the world? Philippi is where I would live. 
So Philippi also was a uh, place where a lot of Roman soldiers retired. It was a major city. They had a forum there. They had temples. They had, uh, they had theaters. It was kind of a neat place. And it was a big city, important city. Paul went there to preach the gospel. He gets there. Now, what's he normally do? What he normally does is he goes to a synagogue, and he preaches in the synagogue. People find Jesus, and then they get mad at him, throw him out of the synagogue. He starts a church. That's, that's his pattern. But he gets to... He gets to Philippi, he doesn't do that because there isn't a synagogue there. And the reason there isn't a synagogue there is there's not many Jews. And there's probably anti-Semitism, they're anti-Semitic in this city because they mention the Jews have caused this trouble, if you read the story carefully. So it's interesting, even in Europe way back then, there was a little bit of anti-Semitic attitude toward Jewish people. And so um, there weren't many Jews there. And because there weren't many Jews there, you only needed 10 Jewish households, men, uh, 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. So evidently there weren't enough men, Jewish men in the city to start a synagogue. And so the people that were uh, Jewish and had uh, some aspiration or love for God that were Gentiles, uh, Gentile believers, uh, they would meet by the river. And that was sort of the pattern. So they met by the river. So Paul goes to the river to preach the gospel. And by the way, he's flexible. He's innovative. This is a different venue. He's used to going to the synagogue and instead, now he has to go by the river. Little, little thing, little principle there. You got to be innovative. You got to be flexible in ministry. You know, ministry happens a lot of different ways. You know, we have a church in Rehoboth that meets in a basement. There's a church not too far from here that meets in a school. When my dad started his church uh, back in 1974, he was a Methodist and had an encounter with the Lord and wanted a little bit more, and he left the Methodist church. Uh, he started his church in a funeral home in Seaford. It was called Gruel Funeral Home on Shipley Street. So the venue, this is a different venue. God uses all kinds of venues. Venues can be different places that we meet, different kinds of places that you meet. This is a, kind of like a gymnasium. Some people meet with a stained glass window. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, how about venues, different musical venues? Now, I want to say something maybe somebody won't like, but hey, listen, I don't think God's uh, God's, uh, God prefers any type of music. I think, he likes, I think God likes uh, contemporary music. I think he likes traditional music. I think God likes all kinds of music that's sung from the heart. I, I, this is a stretch, but even maybe God likes country music. I'm not sure, but maybe he does. <laughs> I may be pushing it a little bit there, but hey, the venue isn't sacred. The message is sacred. The venue isn't sacred. The message is sacred. So he went to a different venue, and he's at this venue, and there's ladies that are there. And I don't know if there's any men. It doesn't mention any men. We know that men became Christians in Philippi because at the end of chapter 16, that when Paul's released out of prison, he ends up in prison. I gave you a little spoiler there. When he gets out of prison, he goes back to Lydia's house, and he meets the brethren and Lydia. So we know some men become Christians. But mainly are women are there. And the first person that believes in Jesus in Europe, Philippi in Europe, the first convert is a businesswoman. The first convert is a businesswoman. So we have a woman that becomes the first believer in Jesus in Europe. And a businesswoman, successful woman, uh, sharp woman, intellectual woman, woman, really, really special lady, and she becomes a Christian. Women have a distinct uh, place in God's plan in the kingdom of God. Uh, the first woman, uh, first Christian of, of Europe was a woman. The first people we'll see in a few weeks at Easter, the first people that see Jesus raised from the dead are women. So women play this really important role in the New Testament. So Lydia is there, and Paul just starts sharing. They're by the river. Kind of cool. You can hear the birds chirping in the background. 
and you see the green grass, and they're by a river, and it's sunny, and you can have church outside. And so they're having church. And Paul, you know, starts sharing about Jesus. He starts talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus from the Old Testament like he does, you know, Isaiah 53, and he's connecting the dots for people. And he's preaching about Jesus. And while he's preaching about Jesus, the Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive what Paul was saying. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive what Paul is saying. I looked up the Greek word, opened, what that means. And uh, what it means, it's used in the New Testament a lot of ways. It's used of, of blind eyes that are open that can't see. It's used of ears that are deaf that can't hear that are open. That when Jesus would heal someone, their, eye, their ears were open. That's, that's the same word. It's used when Peter was in prison and the door was locked and the door was opened by an angel. So it's a word that talks about something that was closed that became open. So when you think about Lydia's conversion and her becoming a Christian, it was the Lord who opened her heart. And when you think about what real conversion is, real conversion is this. Real conversion is the absolute grace of God from start to finish. It's the absolute grace of God from start to finish. That God opened her heart. God helped her to hear. God helped her to understand. What is our part in salvation? Here's our part in salvation. Our part in salvation is gratitude. That's the only thing we bring to the table in salvation, that we're grateful for what happened. God did it all. He convicted us. He opened our eyes. He converted us. He came inside of us and regenerated us. He made us new. So it's from start to finish. It's God. It's God all the way through. Uh, There's this uh, picture that I used to see in the Methodist church. I was raised a Methodist. My dad was a Methodist pastor for a while, as I mentioned, and we had this picture in the Methodist church uh, of Jesus knocking on the door, and how many have ever seen this picture? I mean, I used to see this picture all the time. It's like, you know, when I was at the Methodist church, you know, and, you know, maybe it wasn't so exciting sometimes, so I'd be like looking at the artwork and reading the stained glass windows and, and all that, and I also looked at this, this, this picture. This picture was a very famous picture. And it was uh, in a lot of the Methodist churches, Jesus knocking on the door, and there's a little window there. And as a Methodist, what I was taught was, was that Jesus is knocking on the door, and if you look closely at the artwork, there's no doorknob on the outside. The preachers always mention that. There's no doorknob on the outside. And what the implication was is that you, had, you were on the inside, Jesus is knocking at the door, and you opened the door for Jesus to come in. And so that was what I was taught. And I was raised that way and thought about that. And, and uh, you know, that always made sense to me. But then when I read the Bible and I read it carefully, when I look at what it says, this story doesn't say that Lydia opened her heart to receive the Lord. It said the Lord opened her heart to receive Jesus. The Lord opened her heart to receive Jesus. And that's really an interesting thing. It wasn't like uh, Lydia... Her, you know, she looked through that little window, you know, and if, you, if you're the one that opens your heart, and if you're the one that kind of like does it all, if you're the one that opens all, you can really give yourself a pat on the back. That you look through the little peephole and, oh, it's Jesus, and you open the door. And so your part, you know, you get credit for the whole thing because, you know, you're the one that was smart enough to open the door. But the Bible doesn't say that about Lydia. It doesn't say that, that Lydia opened her heart to receive the Lord. It said the Lord opened her heart so she could hear what Paul said and became a Christian. It's a very interesting distinction there, a very important distinction. 
because I think it's all grace from start to finish. I think it's, it's all the Lord. I can't take any credit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 2, by grace we're saved through faith. Listen to this phrase. Not of yourself, lest any man should boast. So what does that mean? That means you're sitting here today and you're a Christian and you know Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus. You can't say, I was smart enough to follow Jesus. All those dummies on the outside, what's wrong with them? Why didn't they open the door when Jesus knocked on the door? But the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart to receive the Lord. My part is gratitude. Jesus, thank you. I was blind. My door, my heart door was locked. I couldn't hear the gospel. It doesn't make sense to me. I couldn't see Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. I don't believe it. I'm a, I'm a rebel at heart. And you and your grace opened my heart to receive the Lord. So it's all grace. Say it with me. It is 100% grace from start to beginning, start to finish. I went to see one of my friends this week, good friend of mine, that just had heart surgery. He had a quadruple bypass. And he's very, very fit, good shape, uh, and all that. And he had this heart thing. Anyhow, he had uh, quadruple bypass, and they had to put a valve, valve in, a new valve, a pig valve, actually. And so, um, man, we've been praying for him, and Karen and I have been talking to the, uh, his wife and him, and uh, one of my good friends, I've been praying the Lord to help him. So, you know, I went to see him Monday, whoo, not looking so good. He's in the chair, kind of propped up, his voice is real quiet, and he, you know, just hooked up all these wires and wasn't doing good. And then I went to see him Thursday night, Karen and I went to see him. He's just, oh man, chirping, sitting in the chair, just doing wonderful. And he went home last night, just doing so good. And I think it's such a cool story. What's interesting about my friend is when he went to the operating room uh, with a cardiologist of uh, PGH Hospital, my friend did not operate on his own heart. He was completely passive. They put him out. He was, you know, counted backwards and he was in la-la land, completely inactive as they fixed his heart. He was powerless to fix his own heart. Human beings are powerless to fix their own heart. And when Lydia was there, she heard the good news of Jesus. The wind was blowing through the limbs of the tree and the trees and the, the water was glistening in front of them. But there was another wind blowing. The Holy Spirit was moving as Paul talked. And the Holy Spirit began to work on Lydia's heart and opened her heart to recognize that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, and she became a Christian. So when I think about my part, my part is, like, I'm not going to get to heaven and say, God, hey, I, I saw Jesus knocking, and I looked through the little peephole. I was smart enough to open the door. You know, look how smart I was. A little pride in that, that I chose Jesus. We talk about, you know, people finding Jesus. Jesus is never lost. He's never lost. We're the ones that lost. And he comes in his grace, and he opens our heart to receive Jesus, and we become Christians. Now, after... Lydia became a Christian. What is, what's the next thing that happens? Two things happen after that. The next thing that happened is Lydia and her household were baptized. She got baptized right there. 
hey, they were at the river. So she, the Lord opens her heart. Maybe she's crying. Maybe tears are running down her face. I don't know what she's doing. Maybe she's just so, she's so excited. She's, she's found Jesus. Jesus has come in her heart. They take her right down to the water right there, and they put her in the water, and they baptize her and her whole family right then. That was the pattern of the New Testament, immediate baptism. I, I've told you guys many times, I was in Russia a number of years ago preaching uh, in Kazan, Russia. I went to this big cultural center one Sunday, and I was a part of the service there, and uh, hundreds of people came to the Lord. I mean, hundreds of people. This place was packed with people. And these Russians people that just had, had been under communism for all those years, and they heard the gospel. I mean, just simple. It wasn't even good preaching. It was just, just, just simple preaching. It wasn't like well illustrated. It wasn't like dynamic. It was just telling the story. And they came forward, and they got saved, and they became Christians. And those Russian people were smart enough. They knew about, enough about the Bible. They had school buses waiting outside. Put those people on school buses. And we left the cultural center and school buses, drove down the Volga River, which is that main river through Russia, and emptied the school buses. They went down to the bank, and we got in the water, 10 or 12 of us, uh, missionaries and pastors, and we just baptized hundreds of people as they came to faith. And that's what they did to Lydia. They baptized her right away. Next Sunday, we're going to have a water baptism. If, you haven't, if you're finding Jesus now and you haven't been water baptized, if you've been, baptized, if you've been a Christian more than more than a day, you're like overdue to be baptized. So it's like really something you should do. But that's not the only thing. It says that Lydia invited Paul and Silas and Timothy and the people in Paul's party to come stay with her. And it says she persuaded them. Now the word persuaded there was, is a very forceful word. She, it says to, almost to force somebody. She wouldn't take no. You're going to stay with me. And so she, 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 she wouldn't let go. I mean, she said, you guys are coming to stay with me. And she had a big house. She was wealthy. So they came and they stayed with, they stayed with Lydia and, and said she persuaded us. My question is, why, did she, why was she so determined to have Paul and Silas and his party stay with her? What was that about? I think it has to do with her just finding Jesus, and she's really, really hungry for Jesus, and she's found the Lord, and she's got a million questions. After you became a Christian, do you have some questions? She has a million questions. And here's Paul. Here's Paul, the apostle, who's going to write half the books of the New Testament, and he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is a really, really have really great opportunities. So she wants Paul to come to his house because she's going to keep him up all night asking him questions about Jesus. And so she's hungry to learn. She's passionate to learn. I, uh, I, I love tennis, as you know, and I have a friend in uh, Marietta, Georgia, that listens to my podcast, and he says, I, I count how many tennis illustrations you use. He said, you know, I think you use a tennis illustration every other sermon. He's probably right. But just imagine I was up to uh, Food Lion uh, in Millsboro, and I ran in to Roger Federer. He's up, you know, Roger Federer, he's like the big kahuna. He's the Babe Ruth of tennis. So I run into him, and he's, he's in town. He's going to be here for a week, and, uh, and he has no place to stay. I'm, like, going to force him in the car. I'm going to duct tape him <laughs> and put him in the trunk and take him home. Because I want to know, 
How can I have a better backhand? How can I play better? How can I become a better tennis player? Lay hands on me and pray for me. (laughs) Because it's such a privilege. And that is what Lydia's doing here. This is the Roger Federer of the kingdom of God. And she wants in there and she wants to learn. She has an innate hunger for more of Jesus after she has found Jesus. And a person who has a hunger for Jesus has met Jesus. A person who has no hunger for Jesus and his word, I wonder if they have really met Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, there's a spiritual appetite that accompanies you meeting Jesus. And so she wants to learn She's hungry for Jesus. She wants to know more. And how do I know Lydia is a Christian? I know Lydia is a Christian because she now has a spiritual appetite. And when you have spiritual life in you, you have spiritual hunger. And if you don't have spiritual hunger, I question if you have spiritual life in you. People say, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? And I say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you'll go to church. You'll probably go to church. There may be some exceptions, for sure. But when a person meets Jesus... They're hungry to learn more about Jesus. And the reason you're here this morning is because you met Jesus and there's a hunger to learn more about Jesus. I hope you're not here by obligation. Obligation, coming to church, no good. It needs to come out of spiritual appetite for Jesus. These young couples that have these kids that we dedicated to the Lord today. And we have lots of babies here at Bayshore. The babies are just being born Everywhere, we're having all these wonderful children. And I'll see these, I see these parents in the uh, foyer, and they got bags under their eyes. And the first thing I think to myself is, thank God I'm through that. I don't have to do that anymore. And I always ask them, how's the sleep going? And they always say, well, not so good, not so good. You know, it's 2 o'clock, they're up, and 3.30, they're up, 4 o'clock, they're up. And every once in a while, you'll find somebody that, you know, their kids are sleeping good, and and all that, and after a while they get it worked out. But, and I, you know, the reason the babies are up all the time crying is because they're hungry. They're hungry, they're crying. They want food, they want nourishment. Biological life produces physical hunger. Say it with me, biological life produces physical hunger. Spiritual life, or zoe life, that's the word for life in the New Testament, zoe life produces spiritual hunger. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are you. Not be hungry, be hungry. Blessed are you if you have spiritual hunger. That means God has opened your heart to receive Jesus. And you're a follower of Jesus. And I I look at you today, and I see some of you, boy, there's such spiritual hunger in you. This week, uh, Karen and I went to look at a house. One of our sons lives in Bethany, uh, and then uh, my other son 
is going to build a house in Bethany, as I think I talked about it last week. And so uh, our kids are campaigning for us to move to Bethany. So they uh, send us these, these pictures of these houses. And Joel sent me a picture of a house a couple, uh, about a week ago or so. Now, I know what this is about. I know it's about me and Karen being there to babysit closer. I understand what this is about. It's not like they want to be closer to us. I, I am not under any illusions there. Is like, and Joel said, hey, this house, Dad's two minutes from our house. I mean, if, Karen, uh, if Stacey and I want to go out, you can be there in two minutes. So I think we're going to stay where we are. We like our house. We like our yard and all that. I, you know, I think that's probably it. You know, Karen likes to walk. You know, I say, you know, the grass is a lot of grass to cut, you know. But she likes to see this little bald-headed man out there cutting grass. She likes that. <laughs> Does a lot for her, so. So we go look at this house. It's in a nice little neighborhood, small HOA, about 20 houses, a little cul-de-sac. Really, it's really close to Route 26, but off of Route 26. And we looked at the house. We didn't like the floor plan too much, but we went to look at this house. And the guy, the site foreman, we walk up on the porch, and the site foreman says, Hey, Pastor Danny, I didn't recognize you. And he, because I have a beanie on, he says, oh, He's talking to me, Pastor Danny. And uh, he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I go to Bayshore some. He said, I go like, uh, like Biker Sunday. I love Biker Sunday. You know, I go some, you know, holidays and stuff. And, you know, he said, this winter, this winter, we haven't been there too much. We don't go too much on, at wintertime, you know. And it's just cold, he said. It's cold. I don't, I don't, like, to, I don't like to go out when it's cold. And you know, so he said that. And he kind of kept talking about the church thing. I don't know if he felt guilty or what, but he just kept talking and... and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. A great guy, and we had a really good time talking, and really doing a good job. And and uh, after we got done, and we got in the car, and we're riding home, and I was thinking, I was thinking, I said, I was thinking, I don't, I don't really know if that guy really knows Jesus. I don't want to be judgmental, but I just really wonder if he knows Jesus. And the reason I wonder if he knows Jesus is because there doesn't seem to be a ferocious appetite for spiritual things. And it's not about being guilty that you don't come to church. What's that about? I mean, that's, I, I could say something right now about, yeah, I'm not going to say that. So anyhow, <laughs> it's not about that. It's about why don't you have an appetite for spiritual things? Because Lydia said, hey, you're staying at my house. You're, you are staying at my house. Because I want to know more about Jesus. And this poor guy is telling me, you know, he's a construction supervisor. And he's worried about putting his coat on and coming to church on Sunday. I'm just like, hey, I'm not here to judge him. You know, I talked to him. Had a great talk with his family and all that. But I know about you guys. I know about you guys. Some morning it's so cold and your windshield's covered with frost and you're out there with your credit card scraping the, the ice off the windshield so you can come and worship Jesus. You know what? Lydia said, you're staying at my house. You're staying at my house. I got to know more. 
And she probably wore Paul out. She had a million questions about the Old Testament. She's talking about Jesus. They're praying together, and she's growing in her faith. And when a person knows Jesus, they have this supernatural appetite that's given to them for spiritual things. Say it with me one more time. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we, you have, we live in a, with people that say, hey, you have to go to church, you have to go to church. Man, what, that's like not even the right question. The right question is not that you have to go to church. That's the wrong question. The right question is, why, why aren't you hungry for spiritual things? Somebody quits eating physically. Man, we know something's wrong with them physically. There's, there's a disease or something needs to be fixed. So... Lydia became a Christian. She followed Jesus, and there was a church established in Philippi. And I just, I like Lydia. She's just a good lady. She's smart. She's intelligent. She's independent. She's a businesswoman. She's a mover and shaker. And, you know, she's just a great, great, great person that's doing a really, God had something really special. And she invited Paul and Silas to her house, and they had... You know, they had fellowship, and they trained her, and they taught her about Jesus, and she grew in her faith. And You know, another, another thing, and I'm just going to close with this, is another little, there's a little spring off of that coming to the house of Lydia, is that she's very hospitable, taking care of, of uh, Paul and Silas. Now, if you look in the New Testament, there's a principle, there's a theme of hospitality in the New Testament, that we're supposed to be hospitable to each other. And inviting each other to your house and taking care of each other. It's very, very predominant theme. It says in Hebrews 13, uh, be careful how you entertain strangers because sometimes you've entertained angels unaware. And the word hospitality means to show loving kindness to strangers. And there's something about opening up your house and your table and your couch where people come in and you invite them into your private world, and you have fellowship together. It says, it says that there's a lot in the New Testament about hospitality. Um, in the Old Testament as well. So this week I've got two friends coming to uh, spend some time with Karen and I at our house. We've got a, dear friends from Texas that are flying in tomorrow. We, there's a conference in Georgetown we're all a part of. And these two friends are coming in, and they're going to be sleeping in our guest room. And staying with us, we're going to be cooking food for them. We're going to be sitting on the couch talking together and talking about Jesus, talking about our grandkids, talking about our aches and pains, talking about our shoulders and about our knees. And we're going to be hanging out together. So we got this all set up. And then I had another friend call from Pennsylvania. He said, hey, can, uh, can Jane and I stay at your house during the conference? And I already had somebody else stay in our house. And I thought, wow, I've got two people now. I said, absolutely. He's like one of my best friends. I couldn't say no. So I said, absolutely. And I said, listen, you know, the Kurds are staying already, but, you know, we're going to, Karen and I, we got a bed in the bonus room. Karen and I sleep up there, and we'll let you sleep in our, in our bed, our, our king-size bed and, and all of that. And uh, I gave him that deal, and Karen's looking like, <laughs> So anyhow, they're coming. And uh, then I got this incredible text from him the other day. He said, the text was, can I park my motorhome in your driveway? 
And I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Lift your hands to the Lord this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for this teaching. Thank you for Lydia's heart being open to the Lord. God, we pray even during this service, people's hearts are opening to Jesus, receiving Jesus. And Lord, as they are sensing the Holy Spirit upon their hearts, Lord, let them just open up to you, receive your love and receive your mercy. We thank you for this great story. And we thank you that we're here today because we're hungry for you. Not out of guilt, not out of obligation. We're here because we're hungry for you. We ask you to bless our church with hungry, hungry people. And we pray for many, many hundreds of people in our community, that their hearts will be open to you like Lydia's heart was open. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.